0: Hey y'all, Mackenzie Johnson here. Before you take in this episode, I wanted to give you some updates of some things that have changed since we initially recorded it in 2021. In season five, you're gonna hear us reference the CDC milestone checklist quite a few times, Uh, a great reference that we have for understanding when children typically accomplish certain developmental milestones. Well, since we recorded it, the CDC has updated those checklists. In the versions we refer to in these episodes, It's essentially that timeline is at an average. About 50% of kids may have done a task at that age, and about 50% haven't. So know that what you will hear when we're referencing the CDC milestones in season five episodes like this one, is an average of when an average child does a developmental task. The changes that they've made to the CDC milestones that are current is more of when to know when to seek help or additional assistance. You can hear more about those changes and really get into the nitty gritty of those changes in our bonus episode on the topic of the CDC milestone changes. But for now, please enjoy the developmental information we share here in season five. Welcome to the Science of Parenting podcast where we connect you with research-based information that fits your family. We're going to talk about the realities of being a parent and how research can help guide our parenting decisions. I'm Mackenzie Johnson, parent of two littles with their own quirks, and I'm a parenting educator. And I'm Lori Cordles, parent
1: of three in three different life stages. One is launched, one is in college, one is in high school, and I am a parenting educator. And this podcast today... We're going to talk about children of different ages, specifically infants and babies.
0: Yes, we get to talk about the research and reality around parenting babies. One thing before we dive in, we always got to talk about, yeah, we're going to, this whole season, we're looking at parenting kids at different ages. And, you know, we're going to be talking about these developmental milestones, which is basically just kind of what we could expect kids to be doing by a certain age, but we're going to be talking about it kind of in general terms, but we want to give the like disclaimer, I guess you could say, that we know every kid develops at their own pace, right? Some are early, some are what we would call on time, and some happen a little later, and that, that's all right, and there's nothing wrong with that. So our role today is just kind of to provide some research-based information about parenting kids of different ages, and just to kind of help inform your parenting decisions,
1: Absolutely. And we know that lots
0: of different things
1: impact the rate at which children grow. Maybe things like the entire season three temperament conversation, right? As well as the environment children grow up in, the adults that children are around, their genetics, and so much more. All of these things impact when children reach different milestones. So if you do have concerns about your child's development, we do encourage you to reach out to your family health care provider or a local area education agency. Absolutely. So let's define this particular age that we're talking about today. We're just going to utilize the Center for Disease Control, the CDC, Definition to talk about infants and babies. And according to the CDC, that is children who are birth to one year of age. Yes.
0: So the CDC defines it by age, but there's actually some debate across the field. I just I feel like it's worth mentioning that whether we should define these ages of like infant taught their preschooler kind of thing. Should we define it by age or should we define it by like a milestone? And so there is kind of this debate the CDC uses the age and actually there's this really interesting milestone between like okay what defines an infant versus a toddler but I think I'm gonna make everybody wait till next week I'm gonna hold you in suspense until we talk about toddlers excellent (laughs) yes
1: I love a little suspense okay so then what do you think of when I say the word infant or baby
0: Mm. okay honestly the first thing that comes to mind is like oh babies like (laughs) Oh, gosh. Like, that's how I always want to say, it. like, oh, little babies. And I think because they're, like, the, right, the, like, the sweet, the snuggly, the, like, snuggled into the, like, nuzzle of your neck. Like, mm-hmm. I think of all those things, especially when I think of, like, other people having kids, other people having babies. And my yes. babies did that, too. But the other thing, like, from my own parenting experience that I really think of with babies is just, the, like, the routines. Like, that babies... We're in charge of everything for a baby, right? Like mm. the sleep, we have to help them get to sleep. The diaper changes, the the feeding, The our older kids do, like do some of that for themselves. And if you don't, if you are a first-time parent and you have an infant, you haven't gotten to the stage yet where they need less from us. <laughs> but as a parent who's gotten to the stage where they might need a little bit less of that routine care, I do, I think of how much that takes of like, of us as parents that's a like mm. it's a big time and energy investment taking care of our infants and 24/7, right? 20, 24 yeah. 7 right yeah. 24 7 yeah 2 a.m 4 a.m 6 a.m <laughs> um so lots of routine care but also lots of snuggles mm, absolutely what do you think about what do you think about with infants and and the babies <laughs> so
1: i end up in my brain seeing um a little human being who isn't up on two feet so to me an infant and a baby is some little person that is probably not able to walk okay and maybe even stand and i recognize that this could cause me problems because (laughs) if we have a child who is walking at 10 months or 11 months they're still actually considered a baby and in my mind i might begin to have different expectations for them just based on the fact Mm. that they are in that upright position. Yes. So that's, you know, that's what I think of, which we're going to talk about expectations and that. So so I think that when I see an infant or baby in my own brain, it's a, a human being that is not standing on two feet
0: yeah so like the like little newborns and the and the and the crawlers and the yes only rollers, rolling over. Yes. yes yes all those things which actually kind of leads us right into so the next thing i want to talk about with our infants is something we call the domains of development can you define those that's that feels like a technical term but really it's it simple. does. it does so when we, when we look at different changes or
1: research often calls them milestones, that children of this age commonly experience. So the change they commonly experience at a particular age, we do call them domains. And so we're going to look at infant baby development across some of these domains.
0: Yes. So basically just like the categories, right? Like different categories of how our kids grow. Excellent word. Yeah, I was say, and like we said before, we're going to be talking in very general terms about infant development, and we're actually leaning on a text uh, textbook by Patterson on all about child development for our episode today. But if you want more specific things, right? We're going general. If you want specific. My baby can't do this yet. Or I want to know when my baby should be able to do this. Um, If you want a lot more specific stuff on the timing of that, luckily there's a great resource from the CDC, from the Center for Disease Control. uh, called It's actually called Milestones. It's an app that you can use. You can check for red flags. I actually use it for my child. Um, I have a kid who was kind of an early on some of the development and a kid who was a little bit later on some of the development and so i've used that app with my own kids but so that's a great way to get specific timing kind of information because yeah today we're just talking general We are. I love that it's an app right there at your fingertips. And you can even like check the boxes of like, my child does do this, does do this. Okay. They don't do this one yet. And then it'll like remind you later, like, hey, they weren't doing that last time you checked in. What about now? And so it also gives you tips on how to talk to your provider, your healthcare provider about it. Anyway, I could go on and on. It's good. (laughs) The app is good. Milestones by CDC. All right. (laughs) So let's look at this first
1: domain, this first area of change. And this one is kind of one of those obvious things because it's the physical domain. So, think about the things you can see in terms of height or weight of your baby. Um those are the things that happen at every well baby check, right? And so there's also a lot of muscle and motor movement when we look at the physical development domain. Things like, can they hold their head up? Do they roll over? What about sitting up or crawling, standing? And when we also think about physical development, we're also thinking about small muscles like the ones in the mouth and the tongue. So that cooing or babbling, the vision, hearing, those types of physical types of things.
0: Definitely. And as I think about babies, and I think about their development. I feel like this is what we talk about a lot, right? Like, like does your baby crawl? Does your baby roll over? Is your baby smiling? We talk about a lot of that stuff. But I was actually, when I took a grad class in child development, I remember being surprised in the, like, unit where we were really digging into infants that, like, there is so much other motor development before any of that right? Exactly. Like being able to like control my hand to get it to my mouth, being able to turn my head to the side. Our babies work so hard on this motor development. Like there's a lot happening and there's all this little stuff, you know, we might be so focused on getting them to roll over, or getting them to crawl. There's so much little stuff before that too. So there is, fun. you know, when you think about
1: the fact that they are doing so much. And we might be thinking, well, they're really not doing a lot. I kind <laughs> so of just laying in there? <laughs> yeah. So much happens. So share with us another domain that the text talked about.
0: Yes, and this is a big one um, that we talk about, especially with our littles, uh, brain development. Right. And so Lori's favorite, Lori loves brain development. Um, But so the reason we think about this with babies is something that we call a critical window of opportunity. So when our kids are so little, especially our infants, I don't want to say their brains are mush, but like (laughs) their brains are kind of like clay, like they can be formed and developed more. And actually what helps form our baby's brain during this period where they're, brain can learn so much, is the interactions that they have with us. It's the stimulation they receive from their environment. And we also like to talk about something called neural highways. Mm. And so the experience and the stimulation that we give our babies by talking to them, by showing them objects and toys, that helps develop their highways in their brain, the skills they'll get. If they get a lot of that kind of stimulation, they might get like a four-lane highway. And if maybe there's another thing they've never really been exposed to, like if a baby's never been talked to, that highway instead is more like a gravel road. And so it's basically this critical window of opportunity when our babies are little and when our kids are little to help develop their brain with these super highways by interacting with them.
1: I uh, think that possibly
0: you are speaking in word pictures, right? (gasps) That's what it is. That's a word picture. Lori's favorite. (laughs) Yay for word pictures. Yes. So brain development is a huge one.
1: It is. And I love thinking about brain development specifically on its own, in its own domain, because of that word picture. So much is happening that we don't see and those those highways and super highways and interstates and and gravel roads, they're all there underneath and so much information is passing through them. All right.
0: So I'll say, well, in the information that we give them thinking, you know, like, like I just said, sometimes it seems like all the babies just lay in (laughs) there, but you're so right that there's so much happening. We don't see in that all of the, like talking to them and showing mm -hmm. them books and toys, that's all like, we're doing super important work for their brain. Like, oh, so good. Absolutely, yes. yes. And think yeah. about it this way: as as much as the baby's
1: brain grows that first year, they're literally waking up from a nap, waking up from the night before with new brain. Like their yes. brain is different all the time. Yes, which means that you know when we look at another domain called cognitive or thinking. These are in infants and babies the things like their reflexes right now so their reflex of sucking they no one taught them that their brain knew how to do that. Their cognitive part of their brain knows that I need to suck. Their cognitive part of their brain knows that their startle reflex or that reflex that arches their back and throws their shoulders and arms back to show you the adult, something is scaring me. Mm -hmm. um, That's a really important piece of their development, that they have these reflexes. And to me, reflexes are fascinating because they're just there. And then what happens is these reflexes move into more intentional and coordinated movements. So the baby's arm reaches out and touches a rattle and the baby's brain, that cognitive thinking part of the brain says, hey, I know what happens when I have that thing in my hand. If I shake it, it makes noise and that pleases me.
0: Yes, and they go from that, okay, my body does this stuff because my brain knew to do it. And as they get older, right, they move into like, I can do things to the world. Mm -hmm. Like, (laughs) I can. (laughs) So that's a huge part of their cognitive development. Another important part when kids are little, kind of fits in with cognitive development, but we like to split it out because it's so important is language. Mm. So the domain of language development, Uh, you know, when we often think of like talking, right, that's language. But with our infant's, cooing is language babbling is language smiling right that's actually a form of communication and even like crying crying is our babies communicating their needs with us so babies do have language development um of course there's the things we think about like when they say their first words and like mama dada or in my house dog right <laughs> yes <laughs> right some of those first words. Um, and so that's a really important part is, yes, the words are communication. But with babies, there's a lot of other kinds of communication. Crying, smiling. Yeah.
1: One of my favorite things to teach parents about language development is the idea that their little finger is a pointer. And that little finger can be used to answer the question of, what do you want? Show me. Do you want this? See, that's why that word "this" happened in my <laughs> house early, right? The pointer, that finger, being able to show me what it is that you want because your words aren't in your mouth yet; uh, they're in your brain. Oh, I love
0: that. Your words yeah. aren't in your mouth yet. They're I love not that. in your
1: mouth. They're in your brain. But but really tapping into the idea that children know more than they can say, and can we use that? point their finger as a way to help them communicate with us.
0: Absolutely. And that's honestly one of the things we like to talk about with babies is that babies a lot of times have what we call perceptive language.
1: Mm.
0: Uh, So that's different than expressive language. So that'd be words, right? That kids can tell us or uh, babies can tell us. But perceptive language is the words that they can understand. Mm -hmm. And so our babies a lot of times have more language that they can understand when adults say to them than that they could say to us. Right. Um, and so their perceptive language is a lot higher than we might think, which is again, why it's important to talk to our babies. Yes. Yes. Okay. So the final domain that we're going to look
1: at for infants and babies is social emotional development. And I like to think of this as that domain that helps you as a baby interact with The people in your world, or Mm -hmm. even to interact with your own personal feelings. So, social emotional development is things like laughing and smiling. Um, We enjoy having social conversation with our baby, even though they can't, you know, speak to us. We have this back and forth time with them. We can build attachment and bond with our baby as well as when we look at social emotional development, there, there are these typical time frames when we have this stranger anxiety happening in yes. our instance. And research tells us that it's kind of cyclical. So it can happen at three months and then again at six months and then again at nine months. And if you think of what we just talked about with brain development, that's because their brain is growing and those highways and pathways are connecting. And so oh, wait, that's a stranger. I'm not comfortable. And then that's a stranger and I'm not comfortable. Or those are the things that we recognize our infants and babies are starting to learn and that
0: learning social, emotional development. For sure. And the, yeah, that's really brain development. You're so right. That When that newborn, right, maybe you have a newborn that didn't mind being passed. I had one that didn't mind and one that did. Um, (laughs) But when that newborn doesn't mind, as their brain develops, right, they Mm -hmm. have formed this strong bond with their parents or their caregiver. And so that's their brain, you know, having new skills to be able to recognize that. Um, And that's actually one of my favorite things to tell parents of infants is recognizing That, like, it's normal for babies as they grow, as your older infants, to have a preferred caregiver. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not because... Mom is better or dad is better or grandma. One grandma is better than a different grandma. Babies develop this strong sense of attachment as they get older. And that's actually a really beautiful thing that shows that they, you know, ultimately will help them lead to healthy relationships in adulthood. And that's all very good stuff, but I know it can be kind of exhausting. (laughs) Uh, When I was nursing my son, I remember him at like nine months. He, we would go somewhere like, if we were at my in-laws and I remember like hiding behind people or like, I'd have to step out of the room because if I was in the room, he would cry for me. And uh, yeah, a preferred, a preferred caregiver definitely happens. Mm. And then another thing that I found really interesting when we were putting this episode together from this kind of resource is the idea of joint attention with babies so that Mm. babies really benefit from that's again, technical term, but really just the idea of parents paying attention to the thing the baby is paying attention to creates attachment, helps develop language, helps babies see that, like, whoa, if I'm paying attention to this and then mom or dad starts talking about this with me, right, that can help their brain development of realizing they can affect the world. And yeah, there's so much good stuff on infant development. It's so hard to like, okay, we're going to pack it into this tiny little box of a podcast episode. Exactly. We could talk forever, ever, forever. Yes. Um, But ultimately, this is the Science of Parenting podcast. And so we've talked to you a little bit about child development, right, about infants and how they grow. Uh, But ultimately, we want to give you the research on that and some strategies for your reality. So we actually partnered with a professor at Iowa State, uh, Dr. Diana Lang, who gave us free access to her uh, open access textbook and something called or her book is called parenting in diverse contexts and uh, one of the things that we loved in that book is she has like a one-liner about parenting an infant right it's like a really short summary of like hey if you had to wrap up the big goal of parenting an infant what would it be and so this is what she has She says, the Wine Liner liner for Parenting Infants, our job is to recognize and respond flexibly to infant needs while providing generally structured daily routines. So what I I hear in there, I hear like three R's. Like, Mm -hmm. we're going to recognize and respond, right, Mm -hmm. to the needs. And we're going to offer kind of a general structure of routines. Mm -hmm. Which, if you listen back to our podcast episode from gosh, last year. I can say that now. Our podcast is over a year old, so I can say last year. Um, We have a podcast episode on routines, and so it's that it's like those parts of the day that are things that need to happen, right? Bedtime, mealtime, snuggle time, uh, stuff like that. And so with our infants, we respond and recognize, and we offer a kind of structure to routines. We do. And this kind of goes right
1: back to what we talked about in episode one, when we were looking at Ellen Glinsky's work on our parenting stages, mm-hmm. that the stage we are in when we have an infant or a baby is that nurturing stage. And yes. so right along the lines of that one liner, we are nurturing, we are responding, and
0: we are, our offering routines.
1: <laughs> Our offering routines and recognizing. <laughs> and recognizing. That's what third are. We'll get them all out. <laughs> recognizing and responding mm-hmm. while we're doing those nurturing routines.
0: So, so that all makes sense, right? It just all falls into line. Yes. And those are the big things. When I do think back on having the babies, the little babies, right? The snuggly, <laughs> cute little ones. Um, I do think about like, yeah, we you're responding to what's going on with your baby. If they're crying for a diaper change, if they want to eat, if you know they're tired, right? I love how you talk about like, sometimes their eyebrows are what will tell you they're tired. Sometimes their fingers Mm. and their toes are what will tell you they're going to be hungry. Yes. Um, Yes. I love all that. And so we do. Do you have an example of this
1: in your own life
0: with your children? Yes. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Sure. Sure. Yes. yes. (laughs) Um. Okay. Honestly, when I think of, parenting infants and thinking about these kind of three R's we just talked about. I actually think about some of the differences and how I did this for each of my kids. And so part of this is temperament, um, which of course we could always talk about, but just the difference that I, like I said, I had one baby who was kind of early milestones and that baby happened to be a little spirited and a little more, I would say irregular. Um, Mm. And so for her responding to her needs, was just kind of like she was harder to anticipate and so mm. she might be hungry at three hours from when I last fed her or four or the next time two or one and a half or she might be tired right now or later Um, so she was a little less predictable and so the way that I had to respond and recognize and part of me wonders like mm, maybe I just wasn't so good at recognizing <laughs> could have worked on that as a first-time parent but so that was a little different about what our routines looked like we still did like a napping kind of routine and a feeding Mm -hmm. routine and that stuff versus my son was a little bit later in some of his milestones but he was a clock like and so me responding to and recognizing his needs I could even say I could anticipate them like I knew at three hours he was hungry Mm -hmm. um and so yeah so he was my much more regular so our routines were just different um but still those were still the things I was doing The routine care and the responding to his needs and her needs um, with my kids. What about you? What comes to mind with how you would do this kind of stuff with your infants?
1: So I think that that idea of recognizing their difference, right? Responding and recognizing that they are different. If you have more than one infant or even if you have more than one infant at a time, (laughs) they're different, (laughs) And Mm -hmm. recognizing that while I maybe was able to, you know, put my second infant down in the middle of the floor, my second child um, (laughs) down in the middle of the floor and run the laundry basket up the stairs and down the stairs, and she would literally be in the exact same place. I had to recognize and you know realize very quickly that that maybe wasn't going to be the case with my third child and you know I had to remind myself that I needed to constantly be aware of the opportunities that she would be taking if I wasn't watching <laughs> and you know she might have rolled into a corner or she may have rolled into a place where she shouldn't have been and so yeah, in responding very quickly <laughs> to the different physical developments of that
0: particular infant. Definitely. And yeah, what their needs look like is different from baby to baby, and their routines can look different from. Yeah, mm-hmm. so good. Well, and honestly, that's kind of, you know, one of our beliefs at the science of parenting is what we call a pluralistic approach. Basically, we think there's more than one way to raise great kids because. There's more than one way to recognize and respond to a baby's needs, and there's more than one way to offer routines, uh, and so we, just, yeah, there's more than one way to raise great babies. There babies, are and little there babies. Are. <laughs> we can and snuggle. Up.
1: Thing, you, and you think about I, that's the picture in my head is that snuggly. Content, (laughs) which is not the reality. (laughs) Exactly, right? All right, so let's talk about reality then. How about that? The the strategies that the CDC offers us for our own realities
0: when it comes to infants and babies. Yes, and so they have so many great tips. We just want to highlight a few of our favorites that we think really capture things that benefit our babies and benefit us as parents. So I'm actually going to combine a few tips and I'm going to copy something that one of our uh, state specialists in early language and literacy, Dr. Connie Beecher says, with our infants, they benefit from us doing something called talk, read, sing. And so, you know, we talked about their language development and honestly, all the things they're soaking up about the world, they're brand new here. And so that babies benefit. Talk to your babies. Babies Mm -hmm. benefit from books, even when before they can crawl or before they can speak, they benefit from books and singing with them. Those all benefit them. So I love like, what do I do with my baby? How do I help their growth and development? Talk, read and sing. I I love love that. that one. I love that. So
1: when I was looking at
0: the list, uh,
1: one of the ones that jumped out at me right away is the idea that you play with your baby when they are alert and relaxed. And Mm -hmm. then you watch and recognize signs for when they're needing a break from playing. When are they giving you that tired and fussy sign? And I think that my favorite thing to do with babies is observe and observe those times where We actually might be missing those cues, the eyebrows, like you said, the fingers and toes moving or the body kind of, you know, squirming around telling us, I'm tired of playing with you. (laughs) This is hard work as a baby. And, you know, I think that those those moments and those strategies, that strategy of recognizing those subtle and very important cues is something to keep at the
0: forefront of parenting an infant. Totally. Yes. Totally watching for those. Um, another one from the list that I thought of impartial, because I said, when I think of babies, I think of all the things we have to do to take care of them. <laughs> um, but this idea of taking care of yourself as a parent, you know, hmm. physically, mentally, emotionally, um, you know, and this is actually pretty close to my heart. If you've ever been in one of our workshops, you've made me, or on certain episodes of the podcast, I talk about some of the struggles I had when I was first welcomed to parenthood. Um, and I did, I kind of thought I needed to like parenting is about martyring yourself on behalf of your kids' needs. And that was not sustainable for me. <laughs> right? I couldn't be the parent I wanted to be if I never prioritized my own health and my own sleep mm-hmm. and my own right self-care and those things. And so I just really encourage you as a parent of infants that need so much from us mm-hmm. that you also prioritize your own needs um, and find ways to take care of yourself that that feel good for you. And I think we benefit from it as people, right? We're still people, even when Mm -hmm. we become parents, but our kids benefit too, because we can be the kind of parent we want to be when we take better care of ourselves.
1: Absolutely. And I I appreciate that you continue to model that. And (laughs) even if you don't have an infant, you still need to take care of yourself, uh, okay. So one other, or maybe it was the two I'll put them together that kind of jumped mm-hmm. out at me were the praise your baby and give them lots of loving attention and spend time cuddling and holding your baby. This will help them feel secure and cared for. And I'll guarantee you that I was judged and I felt mm-hmm. judged as a parent of an infant because I adored snuggling, cuddling, and holding my infants. And research flat out tells us that you can't spoil a baby by holding them too much. And I clung to that with every fiber of my being. <laughs> and I do not uh, regret the amount of time I spent holding and cuddling and, and snuggling my my infants, all three of them when they were at that age and stage. Yes. And I just... Y- y- I just want parents to hear that, that Mm. you cannot spoil them by cuddling and holding them too much.
0: Absolutely. Snuggle those babies, right? They don't keep. (laughs) The babies don't don't keep. keep. (laughs) Uh, Sometimes the days are long, right? With infants when they're doing all that care, but they do. They grow quick. They do.
1: Okay, so we also want to share with you an amazing free resource available through the university extension system. And remember, no matter what state you're listening from, there is a university extension system in your state. And we actually have a series of free electronic newsletters that come to your email inbox based on your child's birthday. And they're called Just In Time Parenting Newsletters. I think you might be subscribed, Mackenzie.
0: I am. And these are like, these are my favorite. Like, these are my favorite. (laughs) Um, I am subscribed for both of my kids. I have a one and a half year old and a four and a half year old right now. And uh, but. During the first year with our babies, the newsletter comes once a month, once a month. And so basically you put in your baby's birthday and then when they're one month old, you get a newsletter about one month olds. And it tells you things like what you can expect for the milestones of your baby, tips on how you can support it, you know, even things about... Like, don't forget to take care of yourself in this way when your kids are working on this and even tips for handling kind of the challenging moments that come along with certain ages. Right. So tips around nine months about stranger anxiety. And so I also love that you can sign up for multiple kids. Like I said, this is this is literally one of my favorite parenting resources, Right up here with our podcast. (laughs) And they are gorgeous. Like they
1: are, they're gorgeous. And they're not just for parents. Okay. They're for grandparents, aunts, uncles, older siblings, right? Neighbors, friends, caregivers. They have just a wealth of
0: information in them. Absolutely. And so you can go online. Like we said, they're totally free. You just pop in your email and your child's age and subscribe. So you can go to JITP.info. So that's just-in-time parenting. So JITP.info. And, you know, we really love these on our team because they really fit our mission of research and reality, right? It's what the research says about how our babies or our kids are developing And then they give you the practical stuff for the stuff you actually do with your kids in your daily life. And so totally free from kids that are birthed to age five, JITP.info.
1: And you actually can also find them on our Science of Parenting website. So scienceofparenting.org. Right along the right side of our website is a little ages and stages box, and you can click on that. Go to infants and toddlers or the age group that you want, and find the links.
0: And there are so many great resources available for each stage. We love. Oh yeah! So you can find the just in time parenting link on that page, or you can find other resources about parenting infants. Yeah. So so much good stuff. So. I think that does bring us to our stop, breathe, talk section with it our does. producer. It so does. this portion of our podcast is based on our flagship parenting strategy of stop, breathe, talk, which really is just about stopping, getting our bodies re-regulated, and any kind of parenting moment we might experience, but especially the challenging ones. Yes. And then speaking with intention. So we're going to bring our producer in, and she's going to give us an off-the-cuff question here.
2: Yes. Hello. Uh, just as a reminder, I am Mackenzie DeYoung. I am the podcast producer, editor, etc. Um, as our co-hosts discussed in this episode, I listen, you know, as they talk through, I listen and uh, I think of any questions that I might still have or if uh, we coming, we're coming, we coming in and there's something that uh, is relevant in today's world, um, I get to pop in and try to stump them on a question Um, or a comment or a thought or anything like that so today as you were talking through um you mentioned Lori said their finger is a pointer so you were talking about language development the language development domain talking about your finger is a pointer and I was thinking about baby signs so (gasps) as you were talking then um I did the extension thing and and started- we forgot baby
1: signs. <laughs> yeah, baby signs. So as
2: you were talking, I started doing some research because the question I've heard like are baby signs helpful? Or are they not helpful? Um, and from the the limited research time I had here, it's you know there is research that it appears that 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 can be useful. Just as you were talking about, and that that language language development, you know, it might it might not necessarily give them um, advanced language literacy or cognition, but it helps us to relieve some of those stressful moments of what do you want? What do you want? What do you want when they can't tell Mm -hmm. us what they want? So um, I just figured I'd pop in and maybe we can just talk about baby signs a little bit. What a great idea! I can't believe yeah, we missed signs. <laughs> oh my goodness.
1: Okay, okay. So, baby signs—if you don't know exactly what we're talking about—is essentially uh, sign language that mm-hmm. we teach infants, mm-hmm. babies, or or small hand gestures or movements that provide them a different way to talk. And one thing that you hit on is that it can reduce frustration in infants and babies if we can teach them. How to talk with their hands because their mouth just can't form the word yet, right? And the words are in their brain, like you said, the but they're not in, your mouth. in their mouth. Let's give them to their brain. hands. Yes, yes. <laughs> give it to their hands. <laughs> it's so important. I know that I've shared this with parents who maybe have a child who's more intense gets very frustrated easily and utilizing some simple signs can help reduce that frustration additionally a child that maybe has a language delay can benefit from learning simple signs to tell you when they want more or they want a drink or they want um some food
0: and so mckenzie uh, Mackenzie, you, can you describe a sign that maybe I know you've used? <laughs> yes. So I will say we started out at like six months showing a lot of signs and then we kind of didn't do it so well for a while. And then <laughs> we picked it back up. But so like we, um, you kind of stick your hands together, your fingertips together in the sign for more. So we used the, we really didn't do a lot of signs. We did more and then you kind of shake your hands, almost like jazz handsy, um, shake your hands for all done. Mm-hmm. Those were kind of two main signs we did and then as we got a little older one we taught was help and so that was like a thumbs up on top of a flat hand um and so those are the really the only signs we used but they helped my kids communicate with us of like do you want more food or are you all done with food love that mm-hmm. yeah love that
1: mm-hmm. i i too used the more yeah and mm-hmm. Then because I was a finger pointer, we used the finger a lot to say show me. Mm-hmm. Show me. Mm-hmm. And I would take her, because I have how they're all girls. <laughs> I would take her finger and say show mommy. Show mommy. And then we, you know, walk around the room and, you know, she might shake her head. No, but her finger kept pointing. So we use that
0: as a baby sign. Definitely. I know I that. One I, of the things, talk about it. I know. <laughs> I think one of the important things, the question that people sometimes have, which, Lori, I know you have personal experience with this of baby signs that people are like, well, if you mm-hmm. teach them baby signs, they're not going to talk. Like, why would they need to talk? They can just use baby signs. Mm -hmm. Um, And the research says that that's not the case. Mm -hmm. Exactly. It's not the case. It actually builds their skills. Like, I can communicate. And so I've already learned how to do signs. So it makes more sense. I already know I can communicate. Now my mouth is ready and I can Mm -hmm. use words. Mm -hmm.
1: Exactly. And that is absolutely true. I taught my daughter baby signs and I had people say, well, that's why she's not talking. And ultimately... Um, she has an autism diagnosis. And so I'm grateful for those moments that we were using signs with her because she truly wasn't going to be able to communicate with us in another way at that point in time of her life.
0: Absolutely. I love baby signs. I kind of like, I wish I had done more. I know we have a colleague who's shown me pictures of like Mm -hmm. her babies would sign for their different siblings. Like I want to play, you know, like, yeah, we have a colleague that did awesome stuff with baby signs and Mm -hmm. I think it's a great thing, but I think it's also great to like find what works, right? We had three or four of them that we used and that was great for us, Mm -hmm. Uh, but you can always do more. But even
2: even just using done or more like I saw with my sister's kids the benefits of that was great because mm-hmm. they get so you know they'd be sitting in their high chair and get so frustrated like and you're like what do you like seriously what do you want and they're like I just I just want to I just want to get out of here yeah, right I, I want out. I'm, I'm done, done I just want to get out and and you wouldn't be able to know that if they didn't have that ability to sign to you or they're still mm-hmm. hungry and they want more food and they're telling you more like those potatoes were yes. really good. Bomb, let me have more of them. Mm-hmm.
0: And Okay. And honestly, so like I'm kind of an intense person. We've discussed this. I get a little loud and I have two children that are intense. And so sometimes it's a little rowdy at the dinner table when we all get talking and excited and stuff. But so honestly, sometimes even my toddler who's like over one and a half, The sign is what catches my attention instead of the, like, you Mm -hmm. know, when it's really loud, like, oh, I'm all done. I'm shaking my hands at you. I've been trying to tell you that with my words and you weren't listening. (laughs) Uh,
2: Yeah, we get so so used to, we sometimes get used to tuning them out too. That sounds so bad. But when it's just all noise, you like shut off your ear. I don't know how we are able to do that sometimes. You just like tune it all out and all your Doing is using your vision. So if they're signing mm-hmm. to you, you might actually know what they're asking for.
0: Yeah, exactly. I'm so glad you brought a baby sign. Great question. <laughs> yes, great question. We could really, in you know, a short podcast episode, we could only go into so much right. about infants. There's so much stuff. Right. Yes, awesome. There is. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Talk mm-hmm. to you later. I, we would have totally regretted not saying anything about that. So we would have. yes. <laughs> Yes. Uh, So that is our episode on parenting infants, right? We talked about some of those different domains that we know there's so much motor development and physical development, as well as tons of like language and cognitive. They're in that special window or that critical window of opportunity for us to interact with them. And and then we did get some of those practical tips of we can talk, read, sing with our babies. We can snuggle them. We're not going to spoil them Mm -hmm. and we're going to take care of ourselves um, because they do need a lot from us they do they do so thank you for joining us today
1: on the science of parenting podcast and remember to subscribe to our weekly audio podcast on apple spotify or your favorite podcast app watch our show on video each week and join us on facebook and twitter at science of parenting
0: and you can see our content in your feed the more you subscribe with us right Absolutely. And so please do come along with us. I know next week we're going to be talking about toddlers. So come along with us as we tackle the ups and downs, the ins and outs, and the research and reality all around the science of parenting.
2: The Science of Parenting is hosted by Lori Kothals and Mackenzie Johnson, produced by Mackenzie Deong with research and writing by Barbara Dunn-Swanson. Send in questions and comments to parenting at iastate.edu and connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. This institution is an equal opportunity provider. For the full non-discrimination statement or accommodation inquiries, go to www.extension.iastate.edu slash diversity slash ext.